You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. We can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today I'll be reading And This Your Living Kiss by Opal Bullets. Chapter 6. The rating for this fic is mature. The pertinent tags for this fic include... Poetry, writer Dean Winchester, Professor Castiel, John Winchester's A-plus parenting, mentions of past prostitution, mentions of cancer, angst with a happy ending. Chapter 6. Return of the Queen Dean barely got any sleep, but he said nothing the next morning when he got up to see Sam and Eileen off to work and took over care of Jack. My candle burns at both ends. The loopy part of his brain chanted over and over, like having a song stuck in his head. It gives a lovely light. He decided that his and Jack's itinerary for the day would have to find a balance between taking it easy on himself but still being maximum fun for Jack. They started out at the grocery store, which was always a hit with Jack, who enjoyed bright colors and lots of people and most of all riding in the cart. Especially because, just maybe, Dean would race down an aisle if they turned into it and found it empty, leaving peals of giddy toddler laughter in their wake. Thankfully, Jack was having a good day, too, So the biggest issue Dean had to deal with was when Jack pulled a box of Crunch Cookie Crunch into his lap and it took five minutes of attempting to reason with a three-year-old before he could put it back on the shelf without a tantrum. In the end, he had to take notes from his man Harrison Ford and pull an Indiana Jones exchange with his wallet. After getting home and having a quick lunch, they walked a couple of blocks down to the park so Dean could sit back for a bit and Jack could run around to his heart's content. There were a few other young kids there. Dean recognized a couple of them now that he'd been watching Jack for a while. But of course, Jack ran up to one of the new kids first. Dean smirked and pulled out his phone, opening the group text he had going on with Sam and Eileen. Your kid introduced himself to a newbie in both English and ASL. I'd say it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Except now the new kid is interested and Jack's teaching her how to sign her name. Dean caught the tail end of the exchange on his phone and attached the video. He didn't expect an answer right away, and of course he didn't get one. But he couldn't wait for the moans of despair that they hadn't been there to see it, and hopefully they understood it as some positive results in their parenting. 
He had no idea they were being so hard on themselves until last night in Sam's confession. Dean hesitated before closing the app, though, thumb hovering over his fairly meager contacts list. Conversations with his brother and sister-in-law were at the top, of course, but the most recent text under that was from over two weeks ago, and it was with Charlie. Life between class and his brother's family has had him so occupied that they haven't really been talking much, except now and then if something exciting happened on Dr. Sexy. Though, to be honest, it had been that way for a while now. He'd pulled away from her, just like with Bobby and Karen. Keeping one eye on Jack, he tapped open the conversation. Who brings a gun into a hospital? Guess he really needed that transplant. Real talk, though. The elevator scene? Piccolo and sexy? Piccolo deserves better. How dare you? He's smart. He's gorgeous. He's got cowboy boots. What more could you want? A woman. Dean huffed a laugh. He missed her. He really, really did. When was the last time they'd actually seen each other in person? A year ago, at least, he decided. She'd just dropped by Kansas one day unannounced with video games in one hand and a Lord of the Rings extended edition box set in the other. Must have realized that if she'd asked beforehand, he would have found some excuse to turn her away. Christ, what a shitty friend he's been. He looked up from the phone and sought out his nephew. Jack and the new girl were bouncing up and down on a tiny seesaw, having the time of their lives. Dean bit his lip and stared down again at the blank box, waiting for him to type. When Dean had first stopped writing and informed her that he was done, Charlie would still periodically prod him for more poetry. His father had been getting worse. The words wouldn't come. And he knew she'd been trying to be his cheerleader, but he'd just blown up at her. Had he even apologized properly for that? Well, he was willing to take on any punishment she wanted to dole out. She deserved it. So he presented the facts as they now stood and awaited her judgment. I wrote a poem. Unlike his brother and sister-in-law, it didn't matter how busy Charlie was. Her phone was practically an extension of her body, and he was bound to get some kind of response soon. Just then, Jack looked to be heading for the monkey bars instead of the slide. So in a flash, he returned his phone to his jacket pocket and raced over there to spot him. That is, he basically carried Jack across the playground while the kid gripped the metal bars. After a couple rounds of that, Jack lost interest and wandered over to the plastic plank bridge that sat an inch above the ground. The coast clear. Dean retreated a ways. Sure enough, he had several unread messages. He braced himself for an angry onslaught and opened his app. O-M-G. What? 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 Can I read it? Where are you? Can I call you? I'm going to call you. Dean. Sorry, I'm just excited. OMG, Dean, please respond. Please say I didn't scare you off. Shit. He'd been fucking awful to her and she was worried about scaring him off? Dean's eyes started burning. It was the last of harvest season, that's all. Just have a wood chip in his eye. Or something. I'm here. I'm watching Jack. It's playground time. 
He sent her the video he'd just sent Sam and Eileen. Damn, looks like Jack is going to win Cutest Kid Award third year running. Are you liking New England then? Hanging out with the tiny? Seriously, can I call you? Since Jack was fine, Dean figured he could spare a hand. He pressed the call button himself. She picked up immediately. Hey, Dean. Hey, yourself. Look, um, I just... Did I ever tell you that I was sorry? There was a pause. It wasn't because she didn't know what he was talking about. He was sure. A couple of times, she said, voice subdued. But you were drunk, so... Oh, well, I'm not now. I'm sorry for yelling at you and treating you like shit when you didn't deserve it. And, um, also for keeping something from you. Apology accepted, she said, though it sounded cautious. Was it the poem? When did you write the poem? Only last night, but, uh, no. He swallowed. Now was the time. I've actually been auditing a class. And the whole story spilled out. How he moved out here because something was driving him. How Missouri convinced him to take the class. What it was like learning from Castiel. Last night's talk with Sam. Or just enough of their talk that he could explain how something shifted. And the words had come to him again. How he was feeling again. You know, I'm really only a long day's drive away, she said when he was done talking and carrying a worn-out Jack in his free arm on the walk home. Ask Sam and Eileen if I can come visit? I'm riding sharp and addled With my finger on the steam A mirror in my bathroom I'm flying shaving cream Which would suggest that I'm the former But I think I'd be the latter The next Tuesday dawned cloudy and gray, promising a late fall rain. His drive to Maple Hills was more subdued in color, the trees starting to lose their leaves, and fog appearing in wisps the further he descended into the valley. Dean didn't mind, humming along to Hart, whose cassette was in the player. He expertly steered Baby through the curves of the county road, and then across the pink-brick pedestrian walkways of the Maple Hills Town Center, over the bridge, and finally to his allotted campus parking. His leather jacket kept him warm enough, though it was cooler than back at Sam and Eileen's. When he reached the top of the hill where the chapel stood, gazing grim and gray over the quiet campus, Dean held his breath. Shirley Hall was nearly hidden, big as it was, an island in a dense fog that had settled at the bottom of the large hill. Heart beating fast, Dean descended into it, breathed in the moist air, saw the building with brand new eyes. Poet's eyes. Like a shadowy citadel, it coalesced as he drew closer. It was something dark, something secret. It grew taller than ever in his perception, impenetrable too, the way it steadfastly staved off the cloud that had wrapped around it. Dean liked this building, yes, 
and stared at its facade until a student brushed past him, hurrying inside. He smiled to himself and followed. A hush was spread throughout the building, the voices of the professors loud in the stillness, even behind closed doors. He wasn't often in Shirley while other classes were in session, just his own. In deference, he stepped as quietly as he could up the hardwood stairs, all the way to the third floor. When he reached the landing, he found himself above the fog, and spared a few minutes to stand at the window and admire the view of the small mountain peaks on the horizon, fellow islands in the sea of white. Knowing he only had so much time before class started, he tore himself away and walked down the hall to Missouri's office. As her office hours promised, she was sitting at her desk with the door wide open. He tapped the frame. Dean, she smiled. Come in, honey. She typed a few last words onto her computer. Then she resettled her cardigan around herself and faced him fully. What do you need? He breathed in, took strength from the afternoon stillness. Just wanted to show you something. He reached his hand into his bag and took out his notebook. Carefully, he turned the pages, bypassing the ones he'd written in those dark days, and landed on the one from last Thursday, the one about his father. He slid it across the desk to Missouri. She looked up at him, surprise and happiness evident in her face, and picked up the notebook with care. He didn't say a word as she read through the poem, several pages long, just sat down and tapped his fingers on the bag in his lap and quietly jiggled his leg where she couldn't see. Missouri's gaze was serious, professional almost to the end. Then she softened and gently laid the notebook back onto the desk. It's beautiful, Dean. Yeah? He hated how vulnerable he sounded. Of course. You're a little rusty and it needs work, but I think you know that. He tugged the notebook closer to him with a finger, scanning the last page of his blocky handwriting. I know. Just like riding a bike, hmm? When he looked back up, she was smiling with something like pride. So you'll... You'll help me again? If I keep writing? Oh, Dean. Missouri reached across the desk and took his hands, squeezing them in her own. Of course I will. What has Dean ever done to deserve the people in his life? Thank you, he said, squeezing back. They held on for a moment longer before letting go. Missouri sat back in her chair and adjusted her cardigan again. Castiel would help you, too, you know. No, said Dean, louder than he meant to. I mean, I can't. I'm not ready. I just... It's all right, she said, though she looked a little skeptical. But you can't trust him to keep your confidence. Dean didn't doubt he would. It's not that. He just... He's just... And I'm... Start with something else, then, said Missouri. Is that one of your papers there? She nodded at Dean's bag, where his Tolkien paper was sticking out, noticeable for the many marks and comments on it in bright ink. So? Ask him for help editing it, 
See if you can work with his critique style one-on-one. I happen to know that Castiel has office hours at right this moment. Dean bit his bottom lip. He put his notebook back in his bag and layered the flap back over it. It's just prose. And I have you anyway. What does it matter? I asked you to take a course with him for a reason, Dean. She said, letting some of her inner steel lace her voice. And words are words. He's your teacher. Go ask him for help. But... But nothing. Go on. Dean knew when he was beat. Reluctantly, he stood up and walked out of her office. He looked back at her, hesitating. She shooed him away and started typing on her computer again. Castiel's office right next door was cracked open. He checked his watch. If it didn't go well, he'd only have to suffer ten minutes of it before class started. Might as well, he supposed. Dean knocked. Come in, said Cass. Dean nudged the door open. Cass was hunched over his desk scribbling on some poor student's paper, other hand clutched in his thick, dark hair. If that's how he normally graded, no wonder he often walked into class with that rolled-out-of-bed look. His office windows, tall behind him, framed the old chapel sitting above the fog, perched like a rock dove in the distance. Hi, Cass, he said. Cass jerked his head up, blue eyes wide. Dean, he said. He capped his pen and sat up straight. How are you? Good, I'm good, said Dean. Just, uh, wondering if you had a minute to look at my paper. The professor blinked, then a wide smile spread over his face. Yes, I'd love to. Sit, please. We've got a bit of time before class. His openness made Dean feel better, at least a little. He sat down at the chair in front of the orchid and booped the bee. Claire is the friend who gave that to me, said Cass. Dean grinned. She did not. She did. That's softy, he said. But his humor left him when he pulled out the paper, saw all the ink again. The promise of that very hard work Cass had talked about for his course. Don't be nervous, said Cass. Only that earnest son of a bitch could say that without a hint of condescension. Dean hadn't realized he was still clutching the paper in his hands. He sighed and tossed it over. What's the point, though, if you don't think all that pop culture stuff is a good argument for saying that Tolkien's had a lasting impact? Why wouldn't that be a good argument? I don't know, Dean shrugged. All that talk in class about how real literature is the stuff that wins the Pulitzer and the man Booker and the Nobel or whatever. And it's all bullshit, Dean added, though Castiel had been about to speak. That other people can't reference genre stories like Tolkien, or hell, even Carver fucking Edland, who will never win a major prize in his life, but he's been a bestseller forever, you know? And maybe more of us should do it, or at least acknowledge that it's okay. And for some people, that makes new art better. Yes, I remember, said Castiel. You said we have to think about it the other way around. Well, I'm not the only one who thinks it, said Dean defensively. I read The Ecstasy of Influence. Other people get it. Jonathan Lethem. You know it? 
I know it, Dean, Cass said, his eyes crinkling in an amused little smile. It's my job to know it. That actually made some sense. But you don't like it? I never said that. You never said anything. Cass sobered. It's also my job, he said, to analyze literature through different lenses. That said, he looked to be stealing himself. I maybe let one side of the conversation dominate, knowing we'd get to the other perspective as we moved further into the century. I'm sorry if it came across as taking sides. It's all right, Cass, said Dean. He hadn't been looking for an apology. Maybe he'd been coming on a little strong about it. But when his own poetry was so tied up in the idea of pop references and sampling blues style, it was hard not to take it personally. I don't know why I got so worked up. It's okay to feel passionate about these things, Cass answered. It shows you're paying attention. Now, let's look at that paper. Missouri was right. Castiel was good at giving critiques without being judgmental, now that Dean was actually talking to him about it. And honest when he didn't know something. Wait, you've never read Lord of the Rings? Or watched the movies? They're on the list. Move them up. You just told me you liked this poem. You're going to friggin' love everything else. But Jack Allen was precious to him, and Dean had spent too long guarding him like Smaug and his golden hoard to be open about it now. If he couldn't even tell the singers, why would he tell Castiel? He had to admit, at least, that the professor would probably give him a fair shake, even if he didn't like it. They walked together down to the second floor for class, their conversation falling back into the hush of the foggy afternoon. Castiel, however, was in his element. He stoked the discussion about the next batch of poets until they were all kept cozy in the drafty old building, with nothing but the words of dead masters in their mouths. By the time class was over, the fog lifted, but it had been replaced by a cool wind. Thankfully, it was not so biting as when winter was in full swing but it still carried the tang of cold and promise of a dying fall. Dean was warm enough in his leather jacket, hands tucked safely in his pockets, though he could feel the wind pricking his ears. He tried to enjoy the leisurely walk back across campus to the parking lot where Baby awaited him. He relished in the slop and splash of his boots in the puddles he didn't try to avoid, the muddy piles of burnt-colored leaves edging the sidewalk the pale late afternoon sky. He took a deep breath, imagined his lungs as wide and open and deep, and relished the cool air that tumbled inside, filling him to the brim. He didn't know if it was the trees or what, but there was something in the air here that just tasted clean. When he reached the parking lot, Baby was one of the few cars still there, and none were nearly as gorgeous. The dim light of the cloudy sky still caught upon her polished frame, the drops of mist glinting like little lights, the black incongruously the brightest thing against the old asphalt and faded yellow lines, the wet leaves, the bare boughs of damp fading trees, overcast sky. Instead of getting in and heading out right away, Dean leaned against the driver's side door, 
jeans thick enough for the bare moisture on the car not to bother him. There was something so quiet about this Thursday afternoon, students off campus and looking for fun, professors closing up their offices and making themselves scarce. Just him and baby in the wind, but it didn't feel lonely like it usually did. Alone, yes, but not lonely. Alone, like there's enough room for the self to expand to its full breadth and height. Like the thing that makes you, you inside is actually monstrous in size, multi-headed and many-eyed, sharp and soft in equal measure. And only during times like this can it stretch its wings. And it feels good. You breathe deep, you expand, and it feels good. He closed his eyes and reveled in it. At length, above the wind, he heard heavy steps through puddles, and he opened his eyes to see Castiel, a lone figure striding down the sidewalk toward the lot. The grass spread out like soft carpet either side of him. He was wearing a tan trench coat, but even in the damp autumn cold had a shoe to tie the belt. This meant the wind was hitting him full on, lifting and holding the sides of the coat, billowing like sails and flapping like wings. The wind also pulled flush his white shirt, straining the buttons and molding his chest like marble, his dark hair wild and stride strong. Dean's deep breath stuttered and halted in his chest. Instead of breaking the spell, Castiel felt like he belonged in the quiet afternoon with his easy strength, pale shirt, coat the color of the muddied yellow leaves, as powerful and rich and expansive, not pressing against Dean's self, but large, larger than Dean's still, like his self was so massive that Dean could comprehend it less than the universe. The closer he came, though, the more Dean shrunk back inside himself, inside his shell, remembered that Castiel was not some otherworldly being, but a doctor, and Dean's professor, for Christ's sakes. He tore his eyes away before he could be caught looking, and closed them again, lifting his head to the sky, willing himself to re-expand, recapture that perfect, fleeting moment. A wet thump. Shit, a rough voice exclaimed. Shit, shit, shit. Dean looked back to see that Castiel had dropped his satchel, and now dozens of white papers were skipping across the grass, buoyed by the wind. No time for thought, Dean leapt into action, and between the two of them the papers were collected in short order, if a little wet and sprinkled with leaf bits. Dean bent to grab one last sheet, and when he straightened and turned, ready to hand his stack over, he found himself nearly nose to nose with the professor. Castiel... God, was there ever more a perfect name for such a rare face? The wind whipped around them in half an embrace, Castiel's dark hair rippling across his forehead like bangs. His eyes shone like beacons between the strands, framed in long, dark lashes. Dean was standing so close he could count the drops of mist perched upon them like jewel dust. He didn't think there had ever been anyone else that intrigued him so that pulled the poet so easily to the surface, that called for words of beauty and strength and utter terror. There was just something so inescapable about Castiel, 
But Dean couldn't. He couldn't. He daren't even let himself breathe for fear of words spilling out. All the wrong words. Cass blinked. Thank you, Dean, he said softly, warmly. He gently took the papers from his hands and Dean suppressed a shiver as their fingers brushed. They were cool compared to Dean's, which had shortly been in his pockets. The touch jump-started his lungs again. Yeah, he breathed. Sure, no problem. Cass was shoving his papers back into his bag, but he took a moment to look up and smile at Dean in response before securing it closed. Is she yours? he asked. When he saw Dean's confusion, he nodded his head toward the Impala. The car. Oh, uh, yeah, said Dean, walking the few steps over and giving her an awkward pat on the hood. She's my baby. Cass ambled over and dragged his fingertips lightly along her edge, leaving trails in the water. Absolutely gorgeous. Dean flushed with pride and pleasure, warmed from the inside out. I think so. Cass smiled again. She suits you, you know. Of course Dean knew that, but he didn't know what to say to someone who'd just complimented his car, as she deserved, but then turned that compliment back around onto him. Have you read Jack Allen? Castiel asked suddenly. Uh, Dean sputtered. Of all the things he'd expected his professor to say, he knew even less how to respond to that, how to protect his secret while his soul was so open. But Cass was looking at him expectantly, and he had to say something. I guess. Castiel's eyebrows rose slowly, an unmistakable request for clarification. I mean, yes, but... Like, a little. My God, could he be any less eloquent? Words were always so much easier on paper. Cass hummed in acknowledgement and then turned his eyes back to Baby. She reminds me of one of his poems, Beast. Do you know it? Dean's heart was pounding, and he had to fight the urge to flee. This was the moment... There'd always been the possibility that Cass knew Jack Allen's poetry. Of course there was. He was a doctor. He studied poetry for a living. Of course, he probably read contemporary stuff on the regular. But now was when Dean found out what his professor thought about his work. He'd always avoided reviews as a rule, letting Charlie tell him if there was anything worth his knowing. And now he had to stand here and take Castiel's opinion in person and Cass must know the poetry, at least well enough that he could name one of Dean's poems. So his opinion was unlikely to be based in ignorance. Dean gave the barest of shrugs, afraid any greater movement, any word would give him away. She's a beast, Cass quoted, barreling down, raindrop, blacktop, Late night, highway drive, rock and roll, down the only road I've ever known. Cass gazed fondly down at the car, ran his hand along her hood again. Dean stood frozen. Would he really have memorized a stanza of Jack Allen of his own volition? Was this a test? 
Had Castiel somehow found out who he was? No, no way. No one who knew would have said anything, and he never wrote what kind of car the beast was. Cash just seemed to like that poem? Did Castiel actually like Dean's poetry? Act normal. Say something, idiot. Uh, white snake. He leaned on the car, but his hand slipped in the moisture, nearly taking him out. Clearing his throat, he stood back up and wiped his hands on his jeans. Cass watched this happen, then gave a minute shake of his head. I'm sorry. There's a white snake quote from their song, Here I Go Again. Oh, yes, of course. There's some debate about whether it's deliberate. Debate? What kind of debate? Who was even debating? I thought it was obvious. Castiel opened his mouth, then closed it. He squinted down at the car. Dean, I believe you just helped me out with an article I'm writing. Again. Oh, okay. Jack Allen doesn't write for academics, and the general audience would naturally just accept the reference, wouldn't they? I think so. What was even going on? Of course, Crowley shut down any academic discussion of this poem when he called it a juvenile exercise in Kerouacian machismo. So is it worth opening it back up to debate? You've lost me, Cass. Cass snapped his head back up, blinking a couple times. He wiped his dark hair from his forehead where it was turning damp and sticking. I'm sorry, a colleague of mine at another university. He and I have some friendly academic debate going. He always finds reasons to dismiss my claims that Jack Allen is an important contemporary poet, loudly and verbosely. You think he's an important poet? I mean... Dean cleared his throat again, focusing on the rest of the comment because he had to, for his sanity's sake. So either this colleague of yours is a dick with nothing better to do, or he just can't stop thinking about this guy. The professor's eyes went comically wide, blue flashing in the late sunlight, laughing like it was surprised out of him. Dean, he said. He clasped Dean on the shoulder and smiled. Thank you. I have an article to go work on now, but thank you. Giving his shoulder another squeeze, Cass breezed past him into the gray afternoon, marching down the sidewalk toward town, his coat sailing behind him. Was he about to go work on an article? About Jack Allen? No, he'd said there was a friendly argument about Jack Allen. Castiel must be writing about something else. Right? Dean watched his professor until he disappeared across the next hill and the mist coalesced into rain. I stayed in school this long, but still no one will tell me why. They figured who would know better than I. I know I'm a conformer, but I'm sure it doesn't matter. My new friends are all adults, and my old friends all have scattered. When you find your own Charlie arrived on Sam and Eileen's doorstep in a yellow AMC gremlin and toting a new haircut. 
She didn't even say hi when Dean opened the door, but threw herself in his arms and squeezed him tight. Don't ever be an asshole like that to me again. You understand me? Her voice was muffled in his chest and more than a little teary, but Dean knew she was perfectly serious. He rested his chin on top of her head. I promise. They held on for another minute before he gave her a slight lift and dropped her inside the house. Thought you weren't going to be able to get away from your job for another week, he said, closing the door. What job? she asked brightly. Charles, tell me you didn't. Yes, I quit. Thank you for asking. Yes, I'll be fine. I've got a lot saved and I know how to code freelance. Is that Jack? She brushed past him to greet the others in another round of hugs. You quit? Eileen signed when they were done. Certainly did, Charlie replied. I was already there for a year and it was time to move on, but enough about that. She picked Jack up and twirled him around to his giggling delight. Is this little whippersnapper getting a babysitter, or is he tagging along to Queer Heroes tonight? Tagging along, said Sam. You know about that? May have read about it while I was looking into the area. Did you know there's a pretty good LARP scene? Her timing was looking more suspicious by the minute. Charlie, said Dean. Did you come out here just because... It's been forever since I've seen you. So what? She sniffed. But also, I wasn't about to miss a lecture by Dr. Castiel Novak. You know who he is? Jack wriggled out of Charlie's grasp, so she set him down and then squinted her eyes at Dean. Why? Do you? Sam snorted. That's his professor. Didn't he tell you? She punched Dean in the arm. No, he didn't. Ow, said Dean. Why does it matter? No, you're only being taught by one of the biggest up-and-comers in poetry criticism. But no big deal, right? She's got a point, Dean, Eileen said. Dean held up his hands. Wait, he's really that big? He's one of the best, said Charlie. Didn't you Google him at all before signing up for his class? In retrospect, he can't believe that never occurred to him. Uh, no. I mean, Missouri said he was good, so... Oh, Dean, sighed Charlie, wrapping an arm around his waist. I love you. Dean nodded and draped his arm over her shoulders. I know. When you find that you're the former It was a good thing they left early, because campus was as hopping as Dean had ever seen it. The crowd of students and townies swarming the science building. He thought it was weird that the school had scheduled it there, given the subject for the talk was poetry. But now he understood that as one of the newer buildings, it was the only one with classrooms big enough for a large assembly. Max, whom Dean recognized from class, was greeting people at the door. Hey, he said when he spotted Dean. Just stay in the atrium. The crowd's too big and we're setting up there instead. 
wow, was it this crowded last time? No, said Max, grinning after them as they were swept inside with the tide of people. But it's Castiel. This was a first time in the science building for all of them, and they looked up appreciatively at the ceiling of the atrium, several stories high, and covered in a painting of stars. Jack sat on Sam's shoulders, pointing excitedly, adding to the swell of noise with his happy shouts. But when Cass jogged up several of the steps on the main staircase so everyone could see him, wireless mic in hand, the crowd settled down immediately. An ASL interpreter stood a couple steps below him and to the side. Hello, he said, deep voice pouring out of the speakers hidden somewhere in the open space. I would have volunteered to host a night class this semester if I'd known you were all going to show up. They laughed obligingly, and then Cass was off. It was something else hearing him talk about poets, both the ones who everyone knew for sure were queer, Allen Ginsberg, Langston Hughes, Elizabeth Bishop, but also describing how using a queer lens elucidated the possible lives of other poets, like Emily Dickinson or Wilfred Owen. He lured people in, showing how it could make history and literature more interesting, not just because it gave subsets of the population more heroes to look up to, but also because incidents like the infamous one-night meeting between an older Walt Whitman and a young Oscar Wilde took on more meaning. The accounts say they stayed together all night. Was it an intimate chat of fellows living similar lifestyles and sharing their experiences in a world which sometimes wanted to spit them back out? Cass wondered. Or was it an intimate chat? The audience oohed and awed at this revelation, and Charlie tugged Dean's arm. Dude, how did I not know this happened? Dean grinned at her enthusiasm, was bursting with it himself but didn't take his eyes off Cass. Listening to him speak under the stars, fake as they were, was like reading many loves for the first time, stirring, unlooked for, full of possibility. Could a man be so passionate about the subject of reinstating the queerness of poets if he wasn't queer himself? After the talk was over, their little group didn't bother waiting for Castiel, as they were all going to meet up with Jody, Donna, and the girls at Missouri's. Dean had practically had to park the Impala in town anyway, so they headed there immediately. That was amazing, said Charlie, her short red hair bouncing as she turned to walk backwards, stuffing her hands in the pockets of her yellow jacket. He lives up to the hype, let me tell you. He was dreamy. She skipped back to Dean's side and hooked their elbows. Don't you think? So dreamy, Sam laughed, saving Dean from having to answer. The farther they walked across campus, the more the crowd thinned, until they passed into town. Jack wanted to walk some, so they let him, slowing down to travel at his pace. The evening air was cold and clean, and the streetlights lining the road shone like beacons leading them home. When they got to Missouri's, they found all the women had beat them there. Wine was pressed into their hands at once. Snacks were neatly arranged and just as quickly devoured. And the girls, to a one, were smitten by Charlie and hung on her every word as she held court. So it was that when Castiel finally arrived, almost an hour later, he walked into a loud and tipsy scene. 
Charlie, a couple of glasses of wine in, hopped down from her island bar stool and marched up to him, holding out her hand. Thank you, O Castiel, she began in her LARP queen voice, dear God, for the fine work you do in educating the baby queers. I was one such baby queer and would have loved to have your tutelage in those trying times. When he took her hand, she bowed over it. Geez, Dean, are all your friends nerds like you? Claire asked. Takes one to know one, Dean answered. Castiel just laughed, some of his exhaustion lifting from him at her antics. I do what I can, and you're Charlie, Dean's friend. Ugh, she exclaimed, smacking her forehead. Yes, sorry. Hey, Charlie said, switching gears like she suddenly got a bright new idea. Knowing her, she probably had. Let's go sit at the table. And she tugged Castiel, trench coat and all, and plopped him down right next to Dean. Dean knew exactly what she was trying to do. But he forgave her, even though it wasn't going to mean anything. She'd given Castiel a perfect opening to mention why he lectured about the subject the way he did, but he hadn't taken the bait. It wasn't a negative for his liking men, exactly, but it wasn't a positive either. Besides, Cass was still his teacher, and he had to face him in class still for the next couple of months. And if something happened to, well, happen after that... Hey, Cass, he said and allowed himself a smile. Some talk you gave. He'd cross that bridge if he ever got to it. I'm riding young and gifted in my autobiography. I figured who would know better than me. I'm certainly the former, but I'm not so much the latter. But no one's gonna read it, so I'm sure it doesn't matter.
Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.